0: In the back, whoa! <laughs> I guess you can. So I am trying to keep this simple, so it sounds ambitious, but it's pretty simple. Um, I am in, my talk tonight is on wise speech, but I want to use wise speech as a frame for uh, the way to awakening through being tender. I'll narrow it down. There are different interpretations of the five precepts. And for many of you, you know that the five precepts are the ethical guidelines or the foundation to the teachings of the Buddha. And for anyone who's gone on a retreat, we start the first night by chanting the precepts. And the precepts are a way to help us create a a container, a place of refuge, a sanctuary. And just like this beautiful temple has all these chants and all this energy and all these talks and all these people who have come through here, this is a place of sanctuary. Is this? Okay. So, in that vein, I offer this. Manzanita Village is a uh, retreat center in Southern California and the teachers there were followers of Thich Han. And so what they did is they created their interpretation or their data adaptation of the five precepts. I'm only going to focus on wise speech. <clears throat> Aware of the falsehood and deception in the world, and of the power of living and speaking the truth. I stand in the presence of the ancestors, the earth, and future generations, and vow to cultivate the ability to listen with clarity and integrity And all I communicate by my words and actions. Now, when you think of a guideline, you think of, okay, this is telling me how I'm going to live my life, or suggestions on how to do it. And what I appreciate about this version, it feels like it brings in my whole self and my community and my values, which is my relationship to the ancestors, which is a very uh, lived part of my life. So the ancestors are the the energy of those who came before me that I stand upon and the history that they helped make happen for me to be here. So that's very important to me. And then... (coughs) They're also my witness, and I witness them and they witness me. So that power of being witness and witnessing carries forth. And then my belief in caring for the earth and my commitment, not only in my practice of the Dharma, but to future generations, let my actions be a model of something different and something possible for a new world or a different world. So those frame everything I do. And then the vow, which is huge. Anybody ever make a vow and not keep it? You kind of feel guilty. But if you were raised Catholic like me, you'd feel more guilty. So, oops, I have to be careful. That was interesting. So. When I make a commitment or a vow, I am saying, I am making an effort, an effort to cultivate this practice, to cultivate the ability to listen with clarity and integrity in all I communicate by my words and actions. And in the Eightfold Path, which is another uh, path of guidelines for us to follow why speech shows up there. So before we even speak, we have to think about what we're going to say. So before we even think about it, now I'm going to take us back. What is your intention? What is your purpose? So that you go from intention, okay, I want to say something, What is the purpose of what you have to say? And then, what is the effort that you're going to bring to what you speak? You haven't even opened your mouth yet. And then you speak. So what is the action that's manifested from the words, from what you said, which started with your intention? Now, if we hold the premise that in the teachings of the Buddha, The premise is not to cause harm or as little harm as possible. That's the frame in which we hold our practice. So we hold it not only in relationship to wise speech in in the eightfold path, but wise speech in the precepts. So, I have some quotes and stuff that I want to reference. This one is from Alice Walker. It's a very short poem. I think the title is longer than the poem almost. And it's called, Where is that nail file? Where are my glasses? Have you seen my car keys? Anybody know this one? Nothing is ever lost. It is only misplaced. If we look you can find it again, human kindness. So that's part of the thrust that I'm moving towards, is not only is it the precept of guidelines of how we think about how we cultivate our conversations and our intention behind it, but can we do it with kindness? And what does kindness entail? And kindness entails can't believe I'm doing all this book thing, but that's actually kind of cool. So, this is a, a particular quote from Dr. King that I'm really fond of, but I have to put it in a context. We know he was a preacher, we know he went to theology school, and he's a doctor of religion. And he, this, this uh Quote is from the drum major instinct. Now, in the South, going to um, a black school or going to any college, most of the young black kids would join the um, what do you call it? The the par- not the parade. That's the end result. The the team with the what's it called? Oh yes, thank you. Okay, I'm having a moment. So this marching band was not just to learn an instrument, but it is to cultivate community. And what he did, he, he talked about it from that context, but he put it to a larger context, which is the drum major instinct to want to be successful, to want to be ahead, to want to have nice things. What he would talk about is, don't lose sight of what the purpose is in its essence, which is not to show off and be ahead of someone else, but the work and effort that you brought in, this is the fruits of your labor. So he said, and he's speaking about Jesus, because of course that's his uh, his particular belief, Oh, I see you want to be first. You want to be great. You want to be important. You want to be significant. Well, you ought to be. Everyone has a right to be. If you're going to be my disciple, you must be. And when you think about the Buddha, I mean, he didn't have disciples. He had followers. But he spoke to his audience. Each place he went to, he spoke in a language And he used metaphors and references to what they understand. So this is how I liken what Dr. King did. But he reordered the priorities in terms of uh, Jesus and his disciples. And he said, yes, don't give up the instinct. It's a good instinct if you use it right, this drum major be a drum major for humanity, to be a drum major for love. It's a good instinct if you don't distort it and pervert it. Don't give it up. Keep feeling the need for being important. Keep feeling the need for being first. But I want you to be first in love. I want you to be first in moral excellence, which are the precepts, are the guidelines. I want you to be the first in generosity. That is what I want you to do. So, can we practice wise speech from this place of love, from this place of being fearless, and being courageous and willing to say what needs to be said and that your silence won't protect you. And I think when I um, review and think about some of Dr. King's life, especially a lot of um, his courageous acts, I don't think he sat around and said, well, today I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to just go to jail and represent and create the civil rights movement. I don't think he sat down and said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> That's kind of hard. But I do believe that whatever he did, he practiced it from a place of love. And that is what's inspiring. Let's see if I can read my writing. <clears throat> I have decided to stick to love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matters. And I think about how sometimes we are silent because maybe we're afraid. And that makes sense. Or we're silent because there's been trauma in our life and we know from past experience what might happen and that makes sense. And sometimes you just have to do what you need to do. The question is how do you do that? I know having a teenage granddaughter I was going to say daughter but I have to that's wrong. <laughs> um She's very good at being direct. But it's not always skillful. And my grandson, her brother is the opposite. He won't say anything about anything. Unless you ask him a question directly. And maybe he might speak or not. You know... um, when they were young, he decided not to talk until he was four years old. And my daughter was so worried, so she took him to a, a child psychologist. And Kasaya and Khalil were in the room playing, and the therapist was watching them. And she said, oh, he's fine. And she, my daughter was like, no, he's not. He's not talking. She's like, watch. He had his interpreter, so he didn't have a word to say, because she did everything for him. And one time they were at the dinner table, and I can't remember how it came about, but she asked him something, and he responded in a complete sentence, like he's been talking all the time. (laughs) She said, well, why all of a sudden are you going to answer now? Well, because I have something to say. Go figure. Go figure. I find he's more thoughtful. Well, in some ways. I'm not going to say it all the time, but what I notice about young people is that they like to tell the truth or be honest, but they don't necessarily have skillful means. So the practice, even with the precepts, is using skillful means. And any of you who have family members and have been engaged with family members or have lived with family members you know that that is, can be your practice and why speech goes out the window and forget about how long I've been practicing I'll just look and I'm like oh Lord please save me <laughs> and something will come out and I'm like can I nope it's already out and then I'm like <coughs> Yes, I said it, and yes, I meant it. (laughs) And then I'm like, okay, let's start this practice again. And that's what's so beautiful about it, is that we have an opportunity over and over and over to learn from our mistakes. Of course, I have other things to quote, but I can't find them at the moment. So So this way of tenderness to being awakened is about being courageous it's about being fearless it's about stepping up and saying what needs to be said in a way hopefully that is heard with the intention from which you you, you um have spoken it there's a, a a phrase from a gospel song and I hope I'm going to paraphrase it and I'm totally going to probably get it wrong, but it's called, it's, it's a line It says, order my feet and guide my steps. <coughs> and essentially, when I came up and I sat and I saw what was behind me, and oh, what's all around me, that's the first thing I said to myself was like, okay, I'm going to surrender this to you. Because I feel like um, the space has such a a wonderful arena of ancestors just sitting here with you. I'm surprised you all aren't feeling like you're being pushed out your seats. (laughs) Somebody else can be in the room with you. But anyway, I see them. So, this place of being courageous is not always easy. Sometimes with our children or grandchildren or children we don't even know, we have to say some speak in a way that's firm and caring and loving and still firm. And a no is a no. Sometimes with our elder parents and if we're taking care of them, sometimes they can say things in ways that hurt deeply and It's one thing to take care of you, but it's another to be abused. And you can say, no, I love you, and I will take care of you, and no, you don't get to talk to me like this. That's huge. And the whole sphere is love. It's cultivating, it's producing, it's nurturing, and it's being fierce. And because you love doesn't mean you're not fierce. It means that you are courageous and you're willing to step up to say what needs to be said. And you would think after 20 years I'd have that down and not even close. And uh, sometimes I regret some of the things I've said. Not because... What had to be said isn't important. It was how it was presented. So my skill was not exactly the best at the time. And yet my intention was honorable and not well received. And when you're on the receiving end of something that doesn't land right, it doesn't feel good. And if you're the one on the giving end of it, And it doesn't land right? That doesn't feel good either. And yet, how do we learn? We learn from our mistakes. And so, one thing that's so beautiful about the practice of wise speech is that our mistakes are our teachers. It's not a place where you do it perfect. It's like, oh, here's another opportunity. Here's another one. And here's another one. And I am framing this fierceness or fearlessness in the spectrum of love because I believe that our practice is about cultivating kindness even when we have to say difficult conversations or have difficult words with people or even when it's a compliment sometimes that doesn't even land well to someone who's receiving it this willingness to step out of the comfort zone is to say, this is about freedom. This is about transformation. This is about love. Mm -hmm. (coughs) And how can I do this with integrity? And how can I do this with ethics? And how can I do this with care? And most importantly, how can I do this with care? And I think the Buddha has given us lots of opportunities to reflect on this through the different things he brought to us, like the, the paramis and the, uh, for the Brahma viharas and stuff. But he told us how to, about these things, but he didn't say, now go home and this is how you use it. He didn't give you that. You still got to figure it out. So you have these guidelines and All these lists and all these interpretations. And still, when you open that door at home and you go into your family, you don't have a clue how you're going to do it. All you have are these guidelines. So how do you practice that? And that's where the courageousness comes in. You practice it with fierceness, with courage, with integrity, and pray. (laughs) And when, when it feels right and you know it in your gut, I think there's a moment when that, all the worry about what you're going to say or how the other person is going to respond, or am I saying it right and do I have the words right, all falls away. And in that moment, that's an awakening. In that moment, that's freedom because you're right in the present moment and it's where it comes from, is from the heart. And that's what you're offering, whether it's received or not, it moves from this place of safety and silence, to fierce courageousness, to speaking your truth. Dr. King is an amazing example of it. And um, I thought that it was really interesting when He um, did the talk about, um, I may not get there with you. It was almost like he was prophesizing his own death or understood it. And I just bowed to him. I just bowed to his willingness to step up and say, this is how I see the world. Whether I'm there with you to, to see the outcome of it, we have planted the seeds for the possibility Future. And now we have that future. And we still have difficulties. But we have a different future. And I think all I can do is bow to that. Of course. Oh, here it is. So in this. Place of courageousness, and this place of fierceness, and this place of beauty, and this place of trepidation, and this place of unknown, the unknown, and the willingness to trust that and to move forward. I offer this poem called "The Quiet Psalm." Let there be a quiet that falls like grace over all of us, over our hands, which have slowly become guns, our teeth now daggers, and over our hearts, which explode with the suicide bombs. Let us take ourselves back to the first time we saw each other on the fertile crescent where we drew water to drink from the same river or back to the first playground where you asked, what's your name? And I responded, I'm you. Let us follow this unmentioned history back in time so that we may see that the suffering of one is the suffering of all. And furthermore, the responsibility of all of us. Let us gather up our missiles, our shark our tanks, our nuclear threats, and our hatred, and ask, how could I have thought to use these against you? And let there a quiet that falls over us like grace as we stand dumbed by the asking, And let there be a listening for the deepest of answers. And that's by Silvio Macado. And I offer that poem as another way to understand what happens when you move forward from this place of silence to this courageous act of speaking and loving and being in the present moment and following the Dharma and saying that my silence will no longer serve me and I'm willing to step up and to be fierce and courageous from this place of love as a way of tenderness to open to the possibility of being awake and experiencing liberation. So thank you all. And um, I'm going to just open it for questions and comments. And this will give me a chance to drink some water. Thank you. Thank you for that. I'm not used to speaking on, into a microphone. Um, thank you. That was really great, and I love the quotes and you know those references to people we know and admire. Um, and I wanted to ask you about f- forgiveness. Like, how do you? Because you talked about <laughs> you know the mistakes or the or you know not saying things like you always want to with the family. And so, how do you Uh, practice self-forgiveness? Moment to moment to moment. Um, Forgiveness practice is so powerful. Whether it's something minor or it's something huge, like, you know, on a scale of zero to, oh my God, I should never, ever, 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 ever say anything else again. It's a practice and it's a willingness to be humbled, not only in asking forgiveness, not only in asking ourselves for forgiveness, not only in accepting forgiveness for others, and not only in accepting forgiveness for the way a situation is that feels so overwhelming and insurmountable. So this practice is ultimately a practice of love, and I say it's one that's humbling because how can you not how can you forgive if it's not from a place of surrendering, surrendering to this is what it is, and one of the most powerful phrases in the forgiveness practice that helps me is if I am unable to forgive myself, may I forgive myself in the future. Or if I am unable to forgive you, know that I will in the future. Which is like, not your back, way, back door out. But it takes the weight off of, I'm not ready. I'm not thinking about it. Don't ask me. Don't come around. Don't, don't even open your mouth. I'm not there. So let me have this space so when I'm ready then I can receive it. Receive it with the intention that it's being offered. And I can also give it with the intention that's sincere. Because that's where the true healing lies. And when you mentioned the word forgiveness I said to myself I can't talk about everything all at once. I can't talk about everything at once. It's such a powerful and beautiful, beautiful practice. So thank you for asking. I hope that helps. I don't have a question, but just a comment. It's... um. I practiced on the peninsula for many years. I haven't been to the East Bay. So it's the first time I heard um, words from the gospel songs in, in, in a Dharma talk. And it's, it's really wonderful. I hope that uh, uh, we get to have you more often. Really lovely. It's like a whole another curtain parted. Thank you. What's beautiful about the Dharma is that we can bring all those lens. And I wasn't raised, I was raised Catholic, and we didn't have this. So I love, I love bringing this perspective in because the teachings are universal. So thank you. Thank you very much. So I have a follow-up question to what you just said. So you said things about forgiving oneself and forgiving the other people. But what if we are the one asking for forgiveness and the other person is not ready to forgive us? It makes the practice all the more humbling. Because there's nothing we can do to make them ready. And sometimes we lose friendships over it, and they can break our hearts. And sometimes we're relieved. It's like, oh, finally! But you don't—you didn't hear me say that. We'll just erase (laughs) that out of the talk. We'll take that out of (laughs) the talk. But when someone is not ready, they're not ready. And can you hold yourself with tenderness and with kindness? till they come to this place. And they may not. And then can you be with that? And I remember years ago, um, I was in a graduate program, and you know how you see something and you say something, and you realize, oh, that was smart, because how the person responds was like, oh, that was really smart, because they got all bent out of shape. And then it was like the back in your mind was saying, it was too soon, it was too soon. Well, that happened to me. And then a year later, the woman came and said, now I know what you were talking about. And I'm like, thanks. But it was the willingness to just accept it was too soon and to say that and to let it go. And for her to come back to me was, was, a, was a treat. It's a practice. It's not easy. No one said it was easy, but there's that taste of freedom. That's not so much the yearning and the desire and the clutching of it, but when there's an ease that this has been healed, that there's a sense of freedom with that. So, thank you. Hope that helps. Thank you. Um, I think that my question or sense, as you were talking about, like wise speech, was around wise speech with oneself or towards oneself. Um, And that's something that I've just been practicing as the piece around forgiveness and the judgment that gets handed down by me, for me, just for me, especially tailored for me, just for me. (laughs) And um, I guess I just, you know, would like to hear any thoughts that you might have around that. Thank you for that, because why speech is not always the interaction with someone else. And it's not just the practice of listening, but it's also the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we believe that may not be true anymore. And one of the ways that I have been letting go of some of those horrible, (laughs) painful like crawl up and want to die kind of stories is... I've started this ritual of bowing to it and saying thank you for serving me and helping me when I didn't know anything else. And now it's time for you to go. And this is where the challenge becomes harder because you're replacing an old story or an old pattern or an old wound that no longer serves you. But to replace it means then you have to exercise a new muscle. And because the old story, you can be nice to it, it's like, I ain't going that easy. No. <laughs> exactly. No. No, it's like, no, I'm not leaving. That's it. I'm staying forever. Right? You're like, wait a minute. So maybe you have to do it in increments. Because when you let go a little bit, it clings. You know how little kids will just latch onto your leg and never let go? That's how those old stories can be. So bringing, again, kindness to yourself, even when you're in the midst of the story, can shift the the suffering a little because your intention and your effort is, there's a new story and I don't believe this anymore but it takes so much to do and it's worth it it's worth it because that's freedom in in the metta practice there's a, a phrase that I use for myself is may I be well but I don't use, when I understood well, I didn't think about it in terms of the teachings of the Buddha. There is a book by, um, I think her name is, Tony K. Bambara, and it's called The Salt Eaters. Eaters. And it's about this African-American woman who does everything for everybody. And she's the pillar of the community and all of this. And it opens up with her being in the hospital. And this healer comes in, or a spiritual guide, and she says, do you want to be well? And uh, part of the story is this woman's in the bed and she's living her life and all the things that she does. And she said, I want to be well. So what you're saying is, I want to be well. So it's a practice. And remember the kindness. Because it's for your whole life. Not just that piece. And it's moment to moment to moment. So when you practice it with tenderness, you've already changed the story. What to do. Thank you. Before we go into the dedication of merit, which... (coughs) love it because we're offering our intentions and our efforts to the greater good of everyone, even those that we might not think they deserve it, <laughs> and especially for ourselves. So I am going to do the dedication of merit, but I invite you to dedicate it to someone, yourself, for yourself, or maybe someone you care about, or your plant, or your rock, or your tree, or your cat, or someone that's important to you. And I'll dedicate to merit as well. So we'll begin now. And just um, as I'm saying the metaphrases as part of the dedication of merit, If it's for yourself, then totally embrace it for yourself. For the efforts that we bring to cultivating wise speech as a guideline with the power and fierceness of love, we offer the merit of this practice and these efforts to the healing and liberation of all beings in all directions. May all beings be protected from inner and outer harm. May all beings live with ease and well being. May all beings love and be loved. And may all beings be free from suffering and its causes and conditions. Thank you for your practice and your teachings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit